Welcome to the Feeding Humans podcast, where we talk about the joys and challenges of nourishing ourselves and the kids we love in spirit, mind, and body. For many of us, the struggle with food and feeding is real every day and can be a source of constant frustration. But understanding the countless ways the human experience influences how we relate to food, how we parent, and how we feed our families can help us see these struggles in a new light. And since our kids are human too, it helps explain their sometimes maddening responses. I'm your host, Katherine Zavodny, registered dietitian, eating disorder specialist, family feeding expert, and fellow human. I'm so glad you joined me today. Hello again, and welcome back to another episode of the Feeding Humans podcast. This episode is going to be part two in our macronutrient series, our energy yielding nutrient series. We talked about carbohydrate last episode. Uh, Today, we're talking about protein. Prior to that, we talked about the nutritional hierarchy of needs, where we established that adequacy, enough food, enough calories is the number one nutritional need that we have. The second order of kind of the priority of nutrition uh, when I'm working with clients that I cover is that balance, that balance of macronutrients, carbohydrate, protein, and fat. And then after that, we look at variety, which is just getting those things that we have kind of covered and balanced just from a greater number of different foods. So that's kind of where the idea of this series came from is that discussion of balance among those macronutrients. I wanted to just go a little deeper in what the function of those macronutrients is. So here we are. We covered protein. We covered carbohydrate last time. Today we're talking about protein, which I'm excited about because protein is one of those nutritional topics that I think is vastly misunderstood. And we take wrong information that we have about protein and uh, it doesn't accomplish what we think we're accomplishing, particularly when we overemphasize our protein intake and we kind of overconsume protein at the expense of other nutrients that we would need. And we covered that a little bit last time when we talked about carbohydrate and how producing glucose for fueling our brains and muscles is our body's priority. If there's not enough glucose available, our body has some pretty cool ways to produce glucose, including breaking down protein and turning it into sugar, <laughs> which is not, I think, our intention when we overconsume protein at the expense of carbohydrate. So literally, the way that our bodies metabolize protein depends not only on us consuming adequate calories, again, bottom tier of the hierarchy of needs, but also on our adequate consumption of carbohydrate, right? Carbohydrate being the source of glucose, to fuel our blood sugar, to maintain our blood sugar, to fuel those metabolic processes, brain function, working muscle function. And the truth is, in terms of our actual protein needs, and I'll talk about why we need protein, what it does in a minute, but a lot of us worry that we ourselves or our kids are not eating enough protein. If we're talking about an adequate supply of protein for the purposes of protein, and what protein does, most of us are getting enough protein. That's not something that you'll hear very much. But in terms of how our body utilizes protein, most of us are getting enough protein for those purposes. Grains have protein. There's protein in lots of things. (laughs) It's not just meat and eggs 
or if you're vegetarian, beans. <laughs> there, there is protein in lots of things, and we get that protein from lots of different sources, and most of us do have adequate intake of protein. The one function that I would say for your purposes in terms of how you might go about deciding how much protein you need is that when we eat a meal or a snack that contains carbohydrate, which most of our meals and snacks will contain some carbohydrate, regardless of what we're eating, unless we're working real, real hard to avoid it, which I don't recommend. If you go back and listen to the last episode, you'll understand why. Adding protein to that meal or snack that contains carbohydrate slows the digestion of that carbohydrate. So it will be broken down. The carbohydrate will be broken down and taken up into the blood more slowly, which provides a more consistent supply of glucose. Notice we're, we're <laughs> the first thing I'm talking about in the protein episode is actually about maintaining blood sugar, which again, I want to underscore that blood glucose is the priority when it comes to our immediate nutritional needs. Maintaining blood glucose is kind of the most urgent need that is met for the body. So the difference between, say, drinking a glass of juice, which has a lot of those simple sugars that are taken up more quickly, and drinking a glass of juice with an egg sandwich is going to be that same amount of sugar. I guess we have more sugar that we're getting with the bread. So maybe in the first example, we have juice and bread. <laughs> but if when we add that egg that has some protein and some fat, as it turns out, it's all kind of mixed up together. And because protein and fat are digested more slowly, the glucose that is broken down from the carbohydrate that we're eating is also taken up by the blood more slowly. And so that's why you stay full longer. It's why you will not experience kind of a high and then a crash necessarily, because when we eat something that contains just the simple sugars without any protein or fat, we get a real quick spike in blood sugar because the blood takes it up so quickly and then it crashes again because it goes straight where it wants to go. And then we have kind of an abrupt drop and blood sugar. And if you kind of know your body, you know that that's not a great feeling. So for your purposes, I recommend worrying less about our body's actual metabolic protein needs and just what works for you in terms of how you eat a meal, what sort of meals you eat, how you feel afterwards. And that takes time to kind of get to know your body for those purposes. And uh, it also just means that you can take those cues from your body without really having to worry much about like, what is my body doing with the, the protein and the amino acids? And we'll cover that in a minute. But you don't really need to worry so much about those metabolic needs. You're just fine to consider when I eat this much protein or this kind of protein and this proportion with carbohydrate, I feel better than if I do it this other way, which is how our bodies speak to us. How do you feel? What is the sensation? What do you experience? Do you experience fatigue? Could that be something that could be tweaked with those ratios of protein-rich foods and carbohydrate-rich foods and fat is in there too? That's how our body communicates with us. Just what's your experience of this? We gather that data over time. We eat we experience things, we get to know and anticipate those patterns of what we eat having a particular effect and making us feel better or maybe less good. And we take that information and we can use it to inform our eating patterns and the choices that we make with food. 
So, okay, protein is a little powerhouse molecule, not little, it's a big one, actually, that is a bundle of amino acids. And so amino acids, similar to kind of comparing the simple sugars, okay, they're all similar in molecular structure, but they just have some some subtle differences. But the structure is the basic structure is the same. Amino acids are similar. They're the only nutrient that contains nitrogen. They're all structured molecularly a little differently, but they're similar. So there are 20 different amino acids. We don't need to know that. That's useless information to you. But for the purpose of this conversation, that's just for your information. If you're curious about it, doesn't matter. If you're not, skip it, doesn't matter. But I like to offer some information just for kind of demystifying and and correcting some myths that we have around protein and, and all of these things. We've talked about kind of why that feels important to me. Um, but we can think of those 20 amino acids as building blocks. And when we eat protein, our body breaks down those proteins into those building blocks, sends them to the liver where they hang out and are available, just like glycogen. They're neighbors with glycogen right there in the liver. Glycogen being the packages of stored glucose for those times when it's not available and we need it. Um, we have a pool of amino acids in the liver that can then be sent to other places to build new proteins for different functions in the body. Some of those proteins that are built from the amino acids from the protein that we eat are structural. So your hair, your nails, your skin, just your different body tissues. And some of them are functional working proteins. So you've got uh, ones that transport uh, things in your body, like a little car, uh, take things that our body needs and, and deliver them to the places where they need to go. So again, structural proteins, working functional proteins, all of those amino acids in the amino acid pool from the broken down protein that we eat that hangs out in the liver are sent to be rebuilt into those other proteins that our body needs. And a quick note on amino acids, you may have heard of essential amino acids. Uh, essential amino acids are, I, I mentioned that the different amino acids have slightly different structures and they can kind of be converted from one to the other by moving like little pieces of the molecule around. So nine of those 20 amino acids are essential amino acids, which means they cannot be synthesized from other amino acids. We have to get those amino acids directly from food. The other 11 can be synthesized from other amino acids by kind of moving things around. Non-essential amino acids, that does not mean we don't need them. We do need them. We're just able to make them from other amino acids, which is different from the essential amino acids. Those just have to, we just have to have those supplied by food directly, but they're all important. And again, this is where that third tier on the hierarchy comes in. The greater variety of protein sources that we have, the better shot we're going to have at getting a nice, complete, comprehensive supply of all those different amino acids to build all the different proteins that our body needs, both structural and functional proteins. So if we think of the protein that we eat in a day as maybe like a, like a big skyscraper, our body destroys the skyscraper, tears it down, 
into the individual bricks that were used to make it. And then it can take those bricks and go and build a school and a house and a bridge and a road and a train. If trains were built with bricks, you get the idea, right? Proteins are bundles of building blocks that can be used for other things in the body. Now, some of those amino acids can be broken down to produce glucose. They can be repackaged entirely so that they're not proteins anymore. And what happens when when we eat protein and our body is starved for glucose and it's like, well, I got to get glucose wherever I can, right? We're talking about glucose again. It means we don't get to use those amino acids as amino acids. I mean, the I guess the equivalent, if we're going to kind of follow the metaphor, is uh, if we broke down our big building and then we had to take some of those bricks that are needed to build a school or a bridge and we had to just kind of crumble them in order to, I don't know, lay the foundation. Or let's say if we crumble the bricks and say that brick dust (laughs) is the fuel that the machines need in order to even build something. That's, I like that. I like that better. That the metaphor works for me. I like my metaphors to be airtight. If we, if we have those bricks, but we don't have the fuel that our machinery needs to build new things, that is the priority. We have to have the machinery working and functioning and fueled before we can even build anything. And then we have fewer bricks to work with and we can't build the things that we need. One of my favorite metaphors, different metaphor from one of my favorite nutrition textbooks is that if we overconsume protein, which a lot of us are doing because we think that is healthier for us, overconsuming protein that will that is then going to be needed for energy and glucose production is sort of like and I may have shared this in a previous episode. I can't remember. I apologize if this is redundant. But it's similar to sprinkling the family diamonds on your breakfast cereal because you think it improves the texture. Protein and amino acids are such a valuable resource, and we need those for their purposes. And if we're not getting enough calories and or enough carbohydrate to provide glucose, then that protein is a wasted resource. We cannot use it as protein if that kind of priority of carbohydrate and glucose supply is inadequate. And our body has to work harder to, to make the glucose. Our, because amino acids have nitrogen in them, and glucose does not have nitrogen, we have to get rid of nitrogen. Nitrogen is potentially toxic. And so our body has to work really hard to get rid of that, which means we end up risking dehydration because the packages of nitrogen that is lost when we lose nitrogen because we're not utilizing those amino acids as amino acids has to be excreted in the urine. And so the more kind of wasted nitrogen that we have, the more we're going to be excreting as urine, which increases our risk for dehydration. So overconsumption of protein is actually pretty risky and it causes some problems for our bodies. Our bodies have ways to deal with those problems, but if we're choosing to overconsume protein or, or consume a really high protein diet, it's kind of a waste 
because we can't use that protein for the purpose of protein. Our body has to break it down and use it for other things. And there are all of these, I mean, there's a whole huge market for protein supplements and amino acid supplements and protein powders that we add to things. But to put that in perspective, a single ounce of meat contains about 7,000 milligrams of amino acids, of high quality amino acids, whereas a typical amino acid supplement provides about 500 to 1,000. And that's that's one ounce of meat. So if you have like a, a piece of meat that you're eating, where we rarely ever eat unless we're just kind of, I don't know, putting a few little pieces of shredded chicken on a salad or something, a, a piece of meat is more likely to be at least four or five ounces. And so you know, if we have a four ounce piece of meat, we're looking at almost 30,000 milligrams of high quality amino acids. And our supplements, our amino acid supplements that we take are just a real small fraction of that. And so I want to, I want to highlight here, this example, the single example of how the diet industry, the kind of nutritional supplement industry really capitalizes on our misunderstanding of these things. If the supplement companies think that we believe that we're not getting enough protein and we need extra protein in our diets, they can sell us for no small amount of money, protein supplements, amino acid supplements. And they don't need to mention that that doesn't actually make a ton of sense right? We are subject to very sophisticated marketing efforts that tell us that these things are going to improve our health and enhance our nutritional well-being. But where I land on this, and I, and I want to be gentle here because I actually want you to eat in a way that works for you. If you want to consume amino acid supplements, if that is working for you, if that is something that you want to continue doing, you have absolute unconditional permission to do that. You have unconditional permission to eat any way you want. My hope is that with these conversations, if you are bothered by the amount of worrying you do about food, if that takes up more space in your life than you would like, I can guide you towards worrying less about that. If you like what you're doing, even if it's the exact opposite of anything I say, keep doing it. It's fine. I have zero problem with that. I'm not here with an agenda about how you're eating. I want you to do what works for you. My hope is to speak to people, and I speak to people every day, every week, who really worry and fret a lot about food choices and about their relationship with food and about the, the role that food has in their lives takes up way too much space. If that's the case, I want to encourage you and help you understand that we don't need to worry that much. Our bodies don't need that from us. And so the take-home message for protein is to whatever degree we can, um, getting our protein from as many different sources as possible is really helpful for our kind of comprehensive supply of all the different amino acids, the essentials and the non-essentials so that we have just everything we need right, ready to go for all the different structural and functional proteins that our body needs to create, to synthesize in the context of a diet that is adequate in calories and adequate in carbohydrate so that not only are we getting a food supply of all the different amino acids that we're going to need, but also we can use them as amino acids. 
and our body doesn't have to divert those resources towards those more urgent needs that we have for energy. We want the building blocks to stay building blocks and be used to build things, which can only occur if we're getting those more urgent needs for energy, calories, and glucose already in our diet. That base has to be covered before we can stock that amino acid pool, that pool of building blocks in the liver. So hopefully it's starting to make sense why adequacy is the number one nutritional need that we have and why that balance beginning with carbohydrate is also important. Once adequacy is covered, once adequate calories is covered, that balance of macronutrients with carbohydrate providing glucose being kind of that most urgent need is important and makes sense. We don't need to work super, super hard to eat tons of protein because likely it won't even get used as protein. It'll get used as other things. And so for your purposes in terms of how you're going to decide how much protein you're going to eat, you can be guided by how your body feels, which is the language your body speaks. And that takes time. I talk to clients like it would be really nice if our body could just kind of send us an email and say, here's what I need. We have to just be in tune with the sensations that we experience and just how, yeah, how we feel. And our body can work with that. It's not specific. It's not precise because it doesn't have to be. If what we take in nutritionally balances out over time reasonably and approximates those needs that we have, our bodies can work with that, which is really cool. And it's also something the diet industry doesn't want you to know. They want you to know that it's this just really complicated math problem that you need to really fret about and spend lots of money trying to perfectly optimize our nutritional intake. And our bodies are smarter than that. And it allows us to relax and eat in a way that feels good. And if we are kind of considering that hierarchy, getting enough enough food, enough calories, and some balance of those macronutrients with as much variety as possible, given our context, our preferences, our resources, all of those things, then we're going to be well covered. It's not very sexy. It's pretty simple, which doesn't make anybody any money. It doesn't fund the diet industry for it to be simple. But I'm passing that secret along to you that we don't need to overthink this. And stepping back from overthinking it and and attempting to perfectly optimize something that doesn't actually need to be perfectly optimized makes room in our lives for other things. So many of my clients think about food constantly, and there are different reasons for that. But my hope for all of my clients and for my family and my kids and for you is that you can eat in a way that is satisfying and pleasurable And then move on to other things. If you eat a meal that is satisfying and pleasurable and adequate, then it that was great. And now I'm going to go do these other things that are important to me. Working, spending time with people, doing fun things. And we don't have to be just followed around by this preoccupation with, with food all the time. Because our needs are met, our bodies are happy. And we can go do the things that make us who we are and fill our lives with things that are meaningful to us. 
So that's my hope for you. I hope uh, that was helpful. Again, if you want to send me an email with questions, I would consider uh, doing a follow-up episode with any kind of follow-up questions about these macronutrients. Um, I'm excited to get back to just the human experience of these things. I, I enjoy the science, um, but there's so much more to eating behavior and our relationship with food that actually is more exciting to me. But I think it understanding these things a little bit better actually serves us in creating a story, creating a life experience in a relationship with food that is life enhancing rather than frustrating, depleting, stressful. Don't want that. So if this information is helpful toward that end, that makes me happy. So we've got one more episode in the series about fat, which will be really fun too. And uh, I can't wait to talk with you about that next time. See you then. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Now that you're here, I hope you'll stick around. I have so much I want to share with you. So reach down and hit subscribe so you don't miss it. You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Or for an easy way to rate and review the show from right inside your podcast player, click the Rate the Show link in the show notes. For more resources and for information on how we can work together, visit me online at kznutrition.com. And most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or on your social media. That really is the best way for us to connect with more beautiful humans and grow this community. Until next time, I'm sending you big warm hugs. See you soon.